Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter. The Riveter is a modern union for working women, offering content, community, and work and gathering spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. The Riveter has been my work, community, and home for the last two years. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my post-event chats and kitchen conversations with my fellow Riveters. Ask anyone at The Riveter Fremont, I like to hang out in the kitchen because there's chocolate there. Equity of opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit theriveter.co to learn more. And by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That is totally me. So I use Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt-free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. Best thing ever. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's WOTR100. Visit armoire.style to get started and use that discount code. It helps the show when you do. There's even a link right in your podcast player in the episode notes for easy access. What's in the way is often you. (laughs) And I say that from experience, right? Like what is in the way of being able to build the life that you want to have or the career that you want to have is often the stock gaps in your brain, the the things in your brain that are telling you, oh, there's already too many people doing this or, oh, why you? Those little questions, nagging thoughts in your brain, like the secret is that everyone has those. And once you get past those and take action, just fight them. That is when you get to build the thing that you want. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive and lifestyle coach, Lara Dolch. And each week, I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy living, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and leadership, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your work and life to recapture your momentum and achieve your big dreams now. Hey, women on the rise. That's better than calling you podcast listeners, don't you think? I'm just going to try it out. You let me know what you think. (laughs) It's the last week of February. And I have to ask you, have you shared your thoughts yet about the podcast in my listener survey? In about a week, I'll be digging into plans for season eight of the show. So I could really use your input this week. It only takes a few minutes, and it's so important that I hear from you since, well, I produced this show for you. So please take a moment now to visit lauradolch.com slash podcast survey. Tell me what you love, what you don't love, what you'd like to hear more or less of on the show, who you are and what you're up to, all the things. I love reading your responses. It's really fun for me to learn more about my listeners. So thank you to those who already sent them my way. That URL again is laradolch.com slash podcast survey. There's a link right in your podcast player too under episode notes for easy access. Thanks so much. I first met this week's guest at The Riveter when someone introduced us as kindred spirits because of our shared interest in all things health and self-care. We quickly learned that we also share a knack for moving things forward we're both from the East Coast, while also taking time to make mindful choices about work and life. We've lived on the West Coast for a long time. I guess it's a yin and yang thing. 
In two years, Jenny Gritters went from staff writer at the New York Times product review property Wirecutter, where she was laid off in 2018, to full-time freelance journalist covering health, human psychology, and the outdoors for New York Times Parenting, Medium's Elemental Magazine, and the REI Co-op Journal, to name a few. She also provides coaching for writers who want to build successful freelance careers. And she just became a new mama. Bottom line, Jenny exemplifies resilience and optimism with a good dose of practicality and tenacity. We talked about how focusing on her values instead of her skills helped her build a business she loves and one that supported her through a difficult pregnancy. The magic of thinking of life decisions as experiments and how this perspective helped Jenny find her path. Why getting out of your own head is so important to knowing how to move forward. And why true self-care is often the boring stuff and why that's a good thing. If you've ever wondered how to build a life that reflects what you want instead of what you should want, you will love my chat with Jenny. Something you hosted on Instagram is what prompted me to invite you on the podcast, besides the fact that I know you and (laughs) think you're amazing. But this is what caught my attention. You were talking about the fact that you'd had the best financial month in your business so far, all while working from your couch because you were 35 weeks pregnant at the time and not feeling so hot. And you just talked about being thankful for the path less traveled. So I think where I'd like to start, since the theme of my season is the path less traveled, blazing your own trail, is what was it that was going through your head when you posted that? Like, what was that experience like to realize that? Yeah, so I was super pregnant, I think, when I posted that uh, beginning of December. And I've obviously since had the baby. Um, He was born pretty early, but I had a terrible pregnancy. I was sick the entire time. Um, I had hyperemesis, so I was throwing up three or so times a day and super nauseated and having a nine to five office job wouldn't have worked for me at all. And, you know, I've had jobs in the past that have really pushed me hard. And now I run my own freelance writing business. And so I literally could sit on my couch with my pregnancy pillow under my knees, like feeling nauseated, kind of working whenever I had windows of feeling better. And I think I was sitting there just feeling super grateful for the fact that I could earn money, you know, make money to support my family and myself and keep working too, because that was important to me during my pregnancy. Uh, You know, it was like the only thing that made me feel normal (laughs) when I was really sick. But I think I was just feeling incredibly grateful for this thing that I had built that then supported me through a time that was pretty difficult where I didn't feel like I had the extended bandwidth to be sort of out in the world. And usually I'm out reporting stories out in the field, following people around, going on adventures. And I scaled that back a little, but my business sort of worked for me in that regard. And that wouldn't have been the case if I had been working a traditional job. Yeah, it really makes you think about just the challenges that women have in the workplace when they're pregnant and new moms and and just moms in general and not able to do what you did. So I totally get that moment of gratitude that, that must have washed over you. Yeah, totally. And I was one of those people who said like, oh, you know, of course I'm going to work for my entire pregnancy. Like pregnancy is not a a condition. It's not an illness. But then of course I was also one of those people who got really sick and there's nothing you can do about that. So, and now that I have a kid too, I think the flexibility of, of running my own business is also a really great thing, but there are not, if I'd been in a traditional workplace, not a lot of options. It would have been either I work or I don't, there was no halfway. So yeah. Yeah. Take me back to when you went out your own. You know, I I also sort of got laid off and not sort of, I did get laid off. 
<laughs> and that's what propelled me onto the path of, you know, running my own business too. And I know that was your experience as well. But how did you, how did you make that decision? I mean, obviously you get laid off, but you know, what was the process, you know, the feelings around that? How did you decide, yeah, I'm going out on my own? So I've been a journalist for a long time. And of course, when you work in journalism or media, I think layoffs are just sort of part of the game, but they had never happened to me. And I was working for a very big news publication and they decided to downsize and cut my entire team. So I was not expecting it. And that was, I think, two years ago now. And it it came as a huge shock. I think it was a huge hit to my ego and I thankfully got about six weeks of severance. So during that time, I decided I had a lot of existential questions <laughs> about, did I still want to work in journalism? Like, what was I doing? You know, was this worth the pain and the long hours and the low pay? And so I ended up reading a book. It's called The New World of Work. It's written by the founder of The Muse. And the whole first part of it asks you to identify your values as a way to figure out what you want to do. And I think I'd spent so long in school really focusing on my skills and less so the type of life I wanted to build when it came to choosing a career. So it's a sort of workbook set up. So I worked through some of the exercises and identified about five or six values that I had, one of which was freedom of time, freedom to manage my own time. And another was creative challenge, like building something that was challenging or, or making something that that was inspiring to me. And But still, while I was doing this, I started applying to full-time jobs. And every time I would go in for an interview, I kept thinking, oh my God, I don't want to do this. Like I'd walk out and just be like, uh, I don't want this job. Um, especially for the journalism jobs, it was sort of same old, same old. And the non-journalism jobs, I was like, I'm going to be bored. So I went to Hawaii during that time. Actually, I have a friend who had moved there and he and his wife were living in a surf hut on the beach with no glass on the windows, you know, just like screens. And I stayed with him for a week and I kept looking at him and thinking like, oh my God, you really can actually live the life you want. It sounds really cliche, but watching them live in exactly the way they'd always dreamed of was like, okay, maybe I could do that too. So um, I remember sitting on the beach and journaling and it was in the midst of like I was hearing back from these job interviews and a few people had also offered me some freelance work and I was like I have to try this freelance thing before I go back to a full-time job and I decided to just try it as an experiment so I said yes to while I was in Hawaii (laughs) I said yes to those freelance jobs and said no to the full-time ones and came back with the new challenge of having to set up my own business. So, you know, that was, that was two years ago. So obviously it worked, but it was supposed to just be a three month experiment at first, but I loved it. (laughs) Well, and I love that you framed it as an experiment. My, my listeners have heard me, I think, talk about that probably ad nauseum, but just the idea of whether it's for a personal decision or a business decision, when you think about it as an experiment, it feels less scary and you can just like do it. Was that your experience too? Absolutely. I think it sort of uh, released me from the expectation that I had to build this like perfect thing. Um, Knowing it didn't have to be permanent was really liberating. I I remember my husband said, he's like, those full-time jobs are going to be there. Like in three months, if you decide you want to go back to a desk job, they will be there. Maybe not the ones you've interviewed for, but other ones. So I thought about that a lot when I was, you know, it felt like a big risk, but also 
I knew if I did the, the freelance gigs that had been offered to me, I was going to make enough to cover us for the summer and then, then I'd go from there. So yeah, I think the experiment mindset is, is huge. I use it all the time too in my business when I'm trying something new. Cause then if it doesn't work, you're, you're good. If it doesn't yeah. work, you're good. <laughs> yeah. And you're just you're collecting great. data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what kind of judgments came up for you? Like whether they were from other people or from yourself when you started to kind of embrace this path? Yeah, I have a really wonderful therapist who's sort of like a life coach. And when I sat down with her to try to sort through this decision about whether, you know, I wanted to go freelance, I remember I told her I didn't think people would take me seriously if I didn't have a full-time job, that they would not respect the fact that I was actually working. And I remember she looked at me and said, so is it them who's not taking you seriously or you? (laughs) And I was like, oh, oh, I see. I'd done freelance work in the past, always as sort of a little side hustle throughout my whole career. And so in my mind, it was a side hustle. It wasn't a real job. And so I decided to build out a business. You know, I became an LLC. I picked a business name. I built a website as a way to sort of legitimize the whole process, mostly for myself. Um, You know, it it was my own boundary that I needed to break. It didn't have anything to do with anyone else. So that's a big one. I think also I am my own hardest boss. Like I I work myself really hard and I tend towards being a workaholic. I love to work. And so I knew I had to set up a lot of boundaries right away um, if I wanted this to work, like, you know, ways to, to turn off and ways to not work 80 or 90 hours a week. You know, in the past, I'd always worked so many hours for businesses that I knew I had this sort of judgment of myself that like, you're not a a hard worker unless you're working all these hours. And, but that's a recipe for burnout. And so I had to sort of build in some of these boundaries right away, especially when I started. And I still do, you know, I still will tend towards like working too much and then have to back off. But that's another one I think that has taken a while to learn. And also when you're running your own business, all your own issues are going to come up. I mean, I'm sure you know this, but like, mm-hmm. I love to be in control. Thus, I try to control my business. So spending time, you know, I've learned that that personal growth side of things benefits my business, you know, and, and is important to invest in as well. Yeah, I can totally relate to that hangover from the corporate experience, both yeah. in terms of the self-worth piece of it, and then also the traditional quote unquote work hours and the boundaries that you have to set. Yeah. I was, I was always that person, right. Who was the one that if you needed extra work done, you would ask me cause I'm so productive. And so it, it's taken a while to retrain my brain that like, <laughs> the like, you know, working 30 hours a week and being highly efficient is that's more than enough to sustain a, a really lucrative business. You know, that's taken a long time, I think to, to hammer into my brain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any specific things that you do, practices or whatever that help you move forward confidently when you start to feel like you're sliding? Yeah, I do a lot of self-reflection. I have a few sort of prompts that I will use. There's, there are definitely signs of me getting, you know, I'm working too hard. I'm getting too burnt out. I stop liking the work I'm doing. I make little mistakes. Like, you know, I start to see these signs. I'm really tired my left shoulder tenses up, right? Like there's all these little things. So I've learned to identify those signs. And then when those things pop up, I take a moment to reflect. So, you know, one of the life coaches that I follow on social media has this prompt, the story I'm telling myself is, and I use that a lot. Like when something feels difficult, it's just a a thing that's happening. But I often will tell myself a story about the fact that it's my fault or, you know, someone's upset at me. And so 
walking myself back from that often means then I can walk myself back from working too much. And then I, you know, I also just have implemented like rules. <laughs> I have them up on my, my board in front of me right now. Um, I don't work on Fridays or I at least don't respond to client emails on Fridays. And that is set in stone. Now that I have a kid, that's going to be my day with him. So, you know, things like that, it, I don't really work past 5 p.m. Setting those boundaries for myself are, are really the only way that I will stick to the and telling people about them are the only ways that I will sort of stick to not working yeah. around the clock. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love the, the, what's the story I'm telling myself. I believe that's from Brene Brown's research. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think you're, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It's, it's super illuminating. I'm a storyteller. I'm a journalist. I like to make up like really elaborate stories and generally uh, they're just, you know, far from what the reality is or things are not my fault when I would take them too personally, you know, and, and clients come and go. So that's been a really, a really important one for me. And I also, I, t- I tend to make lists of these things are working these things are not working, just sort of like factual, okay, I could pivot away from this project if it's not working for me. Metrics, I do a lot of kind of journaling, writing, sketching, things like that, sort of get my brain out on paper. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I need to start doing that more. I'm just realizing listening to you talk about it, because you can get so caught up inside your head and nothing Mm -hmm. ever really gets resolved up in your head. (laughs) It just doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. It does it. And like my head, I, I'm an anxious person, right? My, my brain is going to go to like a left field that is just not helpful. And when I yeah. write, when I physically with a pen write down the facts, it's like, oh yeah, that's the reality of this situation. Okay. You know, like this thing isn't working. That doesn't mean anything. It's just not working. And <laughs> I could do something else. You know, that's, that's maybe one of the biggest learnings of running my own business is sort of, you know, it's just me. So I, I need some sort of perspective beyond just the bubble that I get stuck in sometimes. Yeah, that's a great reminder. What about a time that you thought it was all going to implode? Can you tell me about a time like that? Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, my pregnancy was really, really rough. You know, my husband and I got pregnant right away and I was initially pregnant with twins. We lost one of the babies. I was really sick. It was a, a nine month struggle the whole way. And having to run my business at the same time suddenly became much more difficult. And during the summer, I also lost a couple of my key clients. So I just wasn't feeling like I had the bandwidth to deal with it. I remember sitting here and being like, should I just go take a full-time job? Like, you know, right now my brain doesn't feel like I can handle the complication of going and finding someone to replace this spot or synthesizing complicated ideas while nauseated and then trying to write a feature story about them. It it was really, it was hard. And so I did, I like started looking at at jobs and saying to my husband, maybe I should just take one of these. But ultimately that was sort of a product of my frustration generally with being pregnant and being limited and feeling horrible. And I ended up switching some things in my business where I could do some tasks that were slightly less complicated and, you know, still make what I needed to make, to make ends meet for us. And that helped. So, you know, I think it's just important to remember when you're working by yourself, like there is no backup. I kept saying to people, I can't just hand off my work to someone else. Like (laughs) it's just me. And usually I love that. And when I was feeling awful, I didn't love that, but I'm glad I stuck with it. You know, now, now in a few months, I'll be back and having the flexibility of all this is, is huge. It's, it's everything. So, but there, there are moments when it's hard that people always think it's magical. It's not always magical. (laughs) You know, it looks way, way better from the outside than sometimes it is. Uh, But, but, you know, it does help. My husband is pretty good about saying, yeah, you like this way more than any job you've ever had. Like stick, stick with it, you know, stay. 
Well, and going through those moments of like figuring it out and like coming out on the other side, do you feel like that, you know, I mean, I I would guess it feels like you're more prepared for when it inevitably will happen again. (laughs) Yeah. Every time, every time I lose a client or I get poor feedback on a project or something and I just feel like this is horrible. Why am I doing this? Like the next time it's easier, you know, I'm sort of learning that trusting and there's an abundance of work out there and trusting in that is far better than freaking out every time that, you know, editors switch jobs, budgets change. Like it often doesn't have anything to do with me when things are switching around a little bit. And every time I've found new projects that are more exciting and things that work for me. So it takes a few times to learn though that <laughs> it's going to be okay, right? And it, there's evidence to to suggest that it's going to be okay. Right, exactly. Like combating that that story that you're telling yourself that you'll never work again. <laughs> right, this will never work. I'm never going to be able to pay the bills. Like the reality is that usually when that happens, I am able to come back and find projects that are more interesting to me, more exciting, make more. You know, it's it's that the pause is actually good but it, it feels rough in the moment. Hey, it's Lara here. Want to take a quick break from the interview to tell you about something. It's a program I created for women just like you called Vibrant Health Playbook. If there's a gap between the you now and the you you dream about, you know, the confident, put together, vibrant version of you that you know is in there, but maybe you've lost touch with, then I might be able to help. Vibrant Health Playbook is an eight-week coaching experience for women who need to prioritize feeling good so they can get the more they want out of career and life. I help them overcome their personal obstacles to eating better, exercising more, and managing time and stress. Then we create a full personalized plan, I call it the Vibrant Health Playbook, for working towards a big personal goal. And by the way, we do this without ridiculous diets, unsustainable exercise regimens or unattainable in a perfect world, I'd meditate for an hour every morning kinds of plans. I kind of hate what that stuff and truthfully, 95% of the quote wellness industry does to women. That's exactly why I created Vibrant Health Playbook. If that sounds like something you could use, visit lauradolch.com slash Vibrant Health Playbook to learn more and to read stories of other women who've completed the program. And if you decide to sign up in February, I'll give you $100 off the price just for telling me that you heard about it on the podcast. That URL again is lauradolch.com slash Vibrant Health Playbook. You can message me right from that page to tell me you're interested and that you heard about Vibrant Health Playbook on the podcast. Now let's get back to the interview. I want to talk with you a little bit about self-care because obviously, as you know, that is one of my interests in this podcast. And I know that because you report on sort of the science of healthy living, Mm -hmm. that that's of interest to you as well. One of the things that kind of drives me a little bit crazy is when people minimize the importance of self-care by saying that it's, you know, like only things like going to the spa or getting a mani-pedi or something like that, which, you know, they position it as being frivolous, you know, or indulgent. What do you think that's about? that minimization of self-care. Yeah. So I'm also a trained yoga teacher, I should say. So um, I actually really resonate with this idea. I think previously before I got pregnant and really sick, I would have maybe said that going to yoga is self-care. But now I would say the reason why yoga works is because you're breathing (laughs) and, and like checking in with yourself. And you can literally do that while you're lying on the floor or driving. You know, I think for me, self-care is sort of 
it goes beyond just polishing yourself up per the world standards. I do a lot of writing about social media and the way it affects our mental health. And I think self-care, as in, like you said, the spa or like getting a manicure, pedicure, those things look good. But most of the time, self-care is sort of boring, at least in my experience. It's like these basic things that are not super interesting. And I run into this actually when I pitch stories to editors too, like the thing that often helps you the most is the thing that is often the least exciting or interesting, right? It's like, it's like staying hydrated or sleeping or, you know, taking 10 deep breaths, things that are not novel. Um, but that's why they're hard to do. And so I think, you know, for me, self-care is like going outside and breathing and, you know, being around people I love. It's not stuff that often looks flashy. So, you know, I think, I think that's why self-care, especially on social media, it's, it's all about like, you know, face masks and baths and like, yeah, those things are great, but it's the sort of boring basic habits that actually teach you how to take care of yourself, I think. I love that perspective. I, I've, I've never heard someone frame it quite that way, that the real self-care is often the boring stuff. That's mm-hmm. so spot on. I wish I had been able to articulate that years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's the hard stuff to keep, right? It's those little habits that, that are tough to maintain. But like when you take them all together, they really make a big difference, I think. Yeah. How has becoming a mama changed your definition of self-care for yourself? And I mean, I used to be like the best one in the yoga room in the front corner doing all these like arm balances and things. Right. And pregnancy knocked me off that high horse real fast. So, you know, I'm in a kind of different world now. I'm about a month out from having a baby. So my body is recovering from labor and even like very basic yoga is, is really hard. And even making time for like five minutes of meditation is, is like really revolutionary. You know, I don't often get five minutes to myself right now. So I think, you know, my perspective on self-care has shifted because I've started to understand that it is a privilege to have time for it. And a lot of us don't have that privilege or that time. You know, I think I've set fewer rules for myself. Like I'm not, I have to do 10 minutes of uh, meditation and eat these things and do these things in order to have a good day. It's sort of like one small thing per day, a walk outside or like, you know, taking 10 deep breaths in the middle of when my baby's screaming, those things count as self-care now, (laughs) even though they're little. So, you know, it's been a good lesson for me, I think, in, in what my expectations were of myself and also what most of us often have the capacity to deal with, which is not what is often portrayed in social media or, you know, taking 10 minutes to meditate is hard to find that time hard to convince yourself to do it, hard to sit there. Yeah. Well, and I, but I love that you've just reframed it, right? It's not that it's gone away. It's, that's what I'm hearing at least, that it's not that you're not, you know, doing things to help yourself feel better and centered and however you're trying to feel. It's just that you've, you've scaled them to the time available, which is less. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I think when I found out I was pregnant, my husband and I like wrote this little contract to ourselves where we promised that we would give each other time to do certain things every day. And so those are my certain things, right? Like taking a hot shower, you know, doing five yoga stretches before bed, things like that, that really have kept me grounded. You know, having a newborn is very chaotic. They don't have a schedule (laughs) and I'm a person who likes a schedule. So (laughs) finding ways to sort of ground myself in, in small moments has been and uh, really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, going back to just in terms of your writing and your coverage of 
the science of healthy living. I have to ask what current health trends you think are BS and what actually yeah. works <laughs> because you yeah. have a much broader view, I think, than most people. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I spent a lot of time writing and thinking about social media. And I think a lot of people really put a lot of weight in this social media cleanse thing, you know, like stepping away, which is super important. But I think that social media cleanses are kind of BS because they don't address the actual problem. To me, they're sort of like the equivalent of a fad diet. And, you know, I say this having taken these sort of breaks from social media as well, but it's sort of like if you don't address the daily use problem, taking a break from it isn't really going to do the trick. And so I think about that a lot when I see articles out there about, you know, people who are sort of going all or nothing on a lot of the technology that we use. And I actually think there is a sort of not black and white middle ground option where you figure out how to use these tools, but also keep your mental health intact. So that is one that I think is talked about a lot. I also think sort of this intermittent fasting thing is just another, you know, I write a lot about like health and diets. It just feels like another thing on the, on the list that, that may dissipate later on, you know, especially I'm sort of tuned into this right now. Cause you know, as a postpartum mom, you like want to lose weight, but your body actually holds on to the weight for a reason. Cause you're, if you're breastfeeding and it's been a reminder to me that like your body is doing what it needs to be doing and, and be gentle with it. But the, the science behind I think these deprivation diets is, it's not always great for all people, just like all diets. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to hear you bring up intermittent fasting specifically, because I have a friend who's like really into the the quote unquote science around that. And I mean, I yep. suppose some of it is real people science. People love it. Like, yeah. I know. It's like, and I'm, and I just, anytime someone uses the word fast, it I, it automatically shuts me down because of the extremism of it. Yeah. Um, my perspective is that anything that is extreme generally. I mean, maybe it works for a few people, but um, you know, when it comes to health, I, I used to run a column for medium called the health diaries. And I would ask every person I interviewed, what is your definition of health? And every person had a different definition. So I, after reporting on this for a long time, I really do sort of ascribe to the idea that like the middle ground, the non-extreme version, the way you can be gentle to your body is sort of the right answer. Yeah. Well, and also it makes me think about the values exercise that you were talking about early on in terms of changing your career. But I think it also applies to the health. Like what, yeah, what does health mean to you and get really clear on what that definition is. And then you can choose the, you know, things to support that definition. Yeah, absolutely. I think knowing what kind of life you want to build is is the way that you make these decisions, right? But that's work that a lot of us don't think about doing. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. What's your, if you had to choose one, what's your top tip for listeners who are considering, you know, blazing their own trail, going out on their own in their career or, or some other quote unquote left of center, you know, mm-hmm. path? Yeah. You know, I think what's in the way is often you. (laughs) And I say that from experience, right? Like what is in the way of being able to build the life that you want to have or the career that you want to have is often the stop gaps in your brain, that the things in your brain that are telling you, oh, there's already too many people doing this or, oh, you know, why you? Those little questions, nagging thoughts in your brain, like the secret is that everyone has those. And once you get past those and take action, just fight them, that is when 
you get to build the thing that you want, but it's hard. It takes a lot of bravery and courage and willingness to fail. So I often tell people like my number one tip is to define what you want and not what you should want and not what you, you know, have been trained for your whole life to want, but like, what actually do you want in terms of your life and and your career? And then once you know that, build small tools around it to sort of make it happen. So, you know, that's, it's a lot more about mindset than it is about the logistics. You can figure out the logistics. It's the, it's the mindset work that is the hard part and the important part. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll also add to that, that I think sometimes when we sit down to think about what we want, it's very easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, making a list of features that you want in a job, for Mm -hmm. example, versus what's the feeling that you want to have in your days and like, what's the environment that you want to be in and what's the experience that, you know, sort of broader things. Have you found that that's more helpful to you when you do it that way? Yeah, absolutely. I sat down, I remember with a, an executive of a company a couple of years ago, right around the time that I'd started my business, just because I'd been connected to him with someone else. And we, we decided to have lunch. And I remember he asked me, so what do you want? Like, what can I help you with? What do you want out of your business? And I looked at him and I said, I want to work less. <laughs> and he was like, what? You know, <laughs> I, I, he was like, what? And I, and I, it was sort of the first time I'd said that out loud, right? That the feeling I wanted in my day was for my days to be slower and for there to be like space and, um, you know, to not be rushing around. Like I wanted to do less than I was doing. And of course he didn't know what to do with that. Cause you know, he, he's like, well, I can't help you with that. But I do think it, it is building something that works for you. Like I said, when I was pregnant is about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the the, how do I want to feel? What do I need this to do for me right now? And that, that book I mentioned, the new rules of work has, it actually has you build out this like grid where you have the values on one side and the potential jobs on the other side. And in the boxes you write, um, you know, is this a good fit for this value? How would this look on a day to day basis? And that was really helpful to me for sort of envisioning what I wanted to build. Yeah, I love that. I'll put the link to that book in the show notes because I think a lot of yeah, listeners it's a good appreciate one. that. Yeah. yeah. Where can people connect with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, so I am actually starting a podcast for freelance journalists and writers, and it's going to be all about the business side of things. So a lot of what I just talked about, a lot of this mindset work and figuring out how to set up a budget. And I I get these questions all the time now that I've been doing this for a while and, you know, making six figures per year doing it. So that's called the Writers Co-op. And the episodes are going to drop in March. And you can find information about that at my website. You can go to jennygritters.com or zeststorycraft.com. It'll take you to the same place. That's my, uh, my business name. And then you can also find me on various social media, as Lara said. I'm often posting on Instagram about things just like this. Thank you. I will put all those links in the show notes and I will encourage all my listeners to definitely connect with you because you're just amazing. And thank you so much for sharing parts of your story. Absolutely. Thanks, Laura. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lauradolch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lauradolch.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, share episodes on social media or with your friends, and use the discount codes from our sponsors. It's all a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. 
This episode was produced by me with editing help from the team at Lens Group Media. 